Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Hey, so if you'd like to turn with me to Acts chapter 3, that would be awesome. If you don't want to, no problemo. We will be uh, putting all the scripture up on the screen, so that is no problem at all. But as we dive in, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation that you thought was going to be pretty easy and it ended up being really, really challenging? I imagine most of us have. Um, I remember uh, my buddy, Ethan, um, he one time about two years ago signed up for a half marathon. And so he spoke to me and he's like, you got to join and start running this half marathon with me. And so I was like, sure, sounds like a lot of fun. And so I, I, do- I dove in, I started training, I got ready for it. And, and one February morning, uh, I woke up super early, went out to the race site. And uh, the race was being held around Melbourne, um, and we started at the bottom of the 192 causeway. We ran up US-1, so there's this beautiful riverside view. Uh, not helpful when you're, like, dying of, 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 like, heat stroke. It's not like you can really enjoy it. But then we ran over the O'Galley causeway and then came back on riverside, back over the 192 causeway, 13.1 miles. So I remember we were getting to the top of the O'Galley Causeway and then going back down, and it really hit me like the biggest problem with a half marathon. And the biggest problem is that halfway through a half marathon, you've already run six and a half miles, but you still have six and a half miles to run again. Like six miles is just a lot already. And you already ran that, like one hour plus of running, and then there's like a whole nother thing. And so I remember there was this like um, group of people that was at the bottom of the bridge, and I was running, I was panting, I was sweating, and they were just standing there casually drinking Gatorade, stretching, making sure that they were ready to go, all that stuff. And I started noticing that some people were running past me and tagging the person in that group, and they were running. And it was this super discouraging thing because I realized like they were running the race like as a relay. And so here they are, they're just energetic off. They're like, just 6.5 miles, it's all good. And I was like halfway in and I was dying and I was so defeated. And in this moment, it was this moment where I realized like, man, I am like, I like, like I I bit off more than I could chew. Like I I can't make it. And fortunately I, I did almost make it, actually did make it. I think I have a picture of, of me afterwards. There's Ethan, there's me. Clearly, like, I'm not doing well in this moment. I'm doubting everything about myself. Um, but anyways, we, we, like, I, I was thinking about it, and I thought, like, man, I wonder if, like, that is where some people are in their faith, where maybe you had a moment with God that was this incredible moment, or you had an experience with God, or you started running the race of Christianity. But then at some point, it hits you that this whole thing was like a lot harder than you thought it was gonna be. There was some turbulence that started to become a part of the story, and it got a lot really difficult. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. But before we we talk too much about it, though, we're gonna start reading in Acts chapter three, and I'm gonna start in verse one. It's up on the screen, and it says this. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And so let me just give you a little setup and a little context for this passage here. What I want you to understand is that first off, the, um, the, the, like the, the story of Acts starts with Jesus and his 12 disciples, and Jesus has just risen from the dead, and he's giving a talk to his 12 disciples, and he's telling them, here's the deal. I want you, my plan is for you to actually change the world, to turn the world upside down. You're gonna do it by my Holy Spirit's power, and you're gonna do it as my witnesses. But he says, before you do anything, wait until I send you the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples obeyed. They went back into Jerusalem, and they waited until the Holy Spirit was sent from God. And so God sends the Holy Spirit on them, and these miraculous things start happening. And they actually start, um, they, they start preaching. And the first time that Peter gives a Christian sermon, 3,000 people get saved. And then not only do they preach, but then God forms this amazing, new, radically generous, radically welcoming, radically loving community. And then we're about to see God do this other incredible miracle as well. And so the, basically what I'm telling you is that Christianity, the first few weeks of Christianity, like everything was coming up roses, okay? Like it was butterflies and cotton candy. Everything was going perfectly. And so things are about to change because Peter and John, they meet this man and he's a lame man. He's been lame from birth. And we got to realize that at that time in, in the ancient Middle East, that there weren't like desk jobs, okay? Like it wasn't like if you were like paralyzed or crippled or you couldn't, you, you couldn't walk, that you could just get a job somewhere like typing. Like every job was manual labor. And so if you were lame, if you couldn't walk, it was basically a sentence to being poor and being destitute. The only thing that you can do is beg. And so that's where we find Peter and John, and that's where we start this story. And in verse four, it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Let's keep reading. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. This was a tradition that they would walk into the temple. They would see this man begging and they look and they're like, this is the dude. That's the guy who's been here 40 years and now he's walking. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
And so there's this incredible moment that's happening here, and it's actually reminiscent because, see, when Jesus Christ himself walked on this earth, he had all of these miracles that he performed. And the miracles that he performed were part of the way that he proved to the world that he was God. They were part of the way that he expanded his kingdom and he spoke to the people and he said, look, the reason I'm doing these miracles is because I am also offering you life change. I'm offering you peace. I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm offering to radically shape your life. And so now this same exact power is being extended from Peter and John and it's being, ex- or from Jesus and now it's being given to Peter and John. In the name of Jesus, miracles are being done. Now, here's the thing. When I was a kid growing up, I was a church kid, and they taught me this song about this Bible verse. Does anyone here remember this song? Has anyone heard this song? Okay, it goes, I'm gonna sing for you. I'm gonna like make myself really vulnerable, okay? So in church, we sang this song, and it went like this. It went, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Does anyone know it? They asked him for alms, and he held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I will give. I feel really embarrassed right now, just to let you know. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then as kids, we would get so excited because the next part goes, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. And we would all be like, walking and leaping and praying. We got hyped about it. So there you go. That's my song. Yes. So that's what we learned, but, but here's a question for you because this, this question comes up when we start learning about healing and we ask the question, you know, does God still heal today? And we as a church, we believe that God still has the power to heal today. In fact, a couple of years ago at the harbor, a young lady came in and she could barely walk and one of our, uh, one of our crew, Adam, he, he prayed over her. And God literally healed her on the spot a couple of days later. You remember this, Adam? Like, she posted a video of her dancing. And it was awesome. It was amazing. There's another story that's so cool. A single mom actually came and brought uh, her son to our elder prayer night. And her son, uh, she act, he, he like was born and his feet were, were pointed out like this. And, and, and he couldn't walk very well. And the elders prayed over him. And nothing happened that day. But then the next day, her, her son woke up and she called and he says, Mom, my feet are shaped weird. And she went in and she realized that her, his feet were perfectly straight and he could walk normally. And so we believe God still has the power to heal. And so when we pray, we pray in faith, asking God to do something miraculous. Now, there are times when God decides not to heal, and people can be confused by that. And to be honest, I don't have all the answers for why that is. But, but the truth is, whether or not God decides to heal, we still pray, and we still believe that he is good, and we remember that the reason that he heals is ultimately to bring glory to his name. And as he's bringing glory to his name, this, this moment actually happens because Peter looks at this situation. This man is, is praising the Lord who has never walked before. And so this crowd starts gathering and Peter takes this opportunity to actually preach the gospel. Now I'm gonna move quickly through this because I'm gonna skip a few verses, but in verse 12 of chapter three, it says this, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, 
What is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in the name of Jesus has healed him before your very eyes. Verse 19, it says, Now repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. And so first off, Peter starts off by acknowledging that it was not his power or his godliness that healed. And then he says, I wanna let you know that it's not my power and my godliness, but instead it's Jesus of Nazareth. And the entire sermon that Peter preaches, you can go back and read it later, he's highlighting different passages of scripture that they would be very familiar with. And he's pointing to them and saying, the person that you've been longing for, the person that you have been waiting for is Jesus. And man, I just want to say to you, he said it last week and I want to say it again, that I truly believe that whatever you're looking for in life, I don't know what you're looking for, whether it's wealth or whether it's uh, acceptance or whether it's fame or whether it's someone's approval or relationship, there's all of us have this longing in our heart. All of us have this one thing that we think we need. Man, if I could just get this one more thing, I'd be happy. But I truly believe that what, all of us are actually longing for is a relationship with Jesus. I truly believe that God has created each and every single one of us to have a relationship with him and that our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. And so Peter preaches and he says, this is who you're looking for. Let's keep going. Verse, four, verse one of chapter four, it says this, as they were speaking, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so two things happen in this moment as Peter is preaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus. The first thing is that the temple leaders, the priests, the religious elite come and arrest Peter and John. They're like, we, we cannot have them preaching about Jesus. And the second thing is that even though this arrest happens, that Peter and John still, the message gets out and thousands get saved. God continues to expand his kingdom even in the midst of persecution. And so this leads us to the first thing that I want us to write down tonight and I want us to think about, and it's this, that following Jesus is a journey of glory and pain. That's the first thing. I'm gonna have four things for us to write tonight, but following Jesus is a journey of glory and pain. And we've already seen this in our study of Acts. There is this incredible glory that comes when the first church starts. 
Like literally the Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people get saved, a brand new, radically generous, radically welcoming family. Now this miracle happens. And so there's this beautiful glory that's happening. But then attached to the glory is this pain. We see that Peter and John get arrested, persecution begins. And I want you to put yourself right now in the shoes of Peter and John. Because here's the thing. Just a few weeks earlier, the same group of religious leaders had arrested Jesus. And their rabbi, their teacher, just a few weeks earlier, was arrested and beaten and tortured and crucified and killed. And so imagine the fear, imagine the the pain that is going on when they experience the exact same thing. They are arrested, they are thrown in jail. Imagine spending that night in jail wondering what's going to happen and if the exact same thing they just witnessed happened in Jesus was gonna happen to them. And so we have to realize that when we follow Jesus, it's going to be this mosaic of, of beautiful moments, but also pain. And I even have experienced that this week in a very minute, tiny way. Like I was thinking about it and I realized, man, this week has been this, this, this like paradox of those things. Like on Monday night, I had an opportunity to sit on a Zoom call with some of our Harbor leaders. And we, we talked about what God was doing in our lives and we prayed and we planned for something that we're gonna be announcing in the next couple of weeks that we're really excited about. This weekend, I got a chance to spend some time with some of our folks from the harbor and man, it was so amazing and beautiful and I loved it so much. It was such a joy. But then on the flip side, there's a couple of things that I've been walking through in the ministry over the last couple of weeks that have brought such pain to my heart and have been so discouraging to the point where like even this weekend I was in this place where I literally didn't even feel like I could muster the strength to like open up my Bible because I was that discouraged. And, and that's not necessarily the most healthy response, but I say that to say that for each of us in this room, there are these moments of glory and there's also these moments of pain that come with following God. And I always wanna be honest with you and let you know that what we are signing up for as Christians is both. And so that's why the next thing I want you to write is this, that advancing the kingdom means persevering through the pain. Advancing the kingdom means persevering through the pain. I feel like Wesley and the Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. But, but we have to realize that there is going to be moments of pain and, and, and there's gonna be moments of glory. And man, for, for those of us who are following God, we've experienced both. Maybe it's a song of worship or maybe it's, it's having an opportunity to see someone that you're praying for come to faith in Jesus and it's this beautiful moment. But then maybe on the flip side, there's these painful moments, you know, like stepping out and opening up your mouth and trying to share your faith and getting rejected. That's pain breaking off a toxic relationship. That's pain. Forgiving someone for something that they did to you when the thing you wanna do most is get revenge, that's pain. Actually dying to yourself every day, that's pain. And so we have to realize as Christians and we have to be ready to persevere through both. And right now, 
Maybe you're in this moment where you are walking through a really challenging season. I think that God is bringing his church through a very challenging season right now. And this is my encouragement to you to persevere and to keep going. Or maybe you would say, Brian, I used to really follow Jesus and I've actually taken a step back now because it got too hard. And I believe that God is gracious and he's inviting you and he's welcoming you into the story and he's saying, come on in. I have so much beauty for you, but there is also going to be so much challenges along the way and he's welcoming you into that, but giving you that expectation stepping into it. So let's keep reading. Verse five of chapter four, it says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Annas and Caiaphas that we just saw on the screen there two of the religious elite who actually gave a trial and condemned Jesus to death. And so imagine, if you will, Peter and John standing before 70 of the most elite religious scholars and rulers getting questioned, why did you do this? By what authority did you do it? And I love this, verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. I wanna pause right there for a second. You know, God can use parts of our personality that maybe even we're embarrassed about. And and what I love is that, you know, oftentimes Peter gets this bad rap because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. Ah, there's Peter again, speaking up when he shouldn't. Jesus is rebuking him, all of these things. But I love that when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, God actually uses Peter to be a bold witness. And I just want to let you know that whatever parts of your personality, maybe you've always even been embarrassed about, God can actually use that under his control for his glory. Like maybe you're the kind of person and you've always beaten yourself up because you're like, man, I'm just so sensitive and I, I just, the, the littlest thing sets me off or man, I just feel like I'm just too emotional. And, and If you're that person, God, under the control of the Holy Spirit, can actually make you sensitive to things in the Spirit that other people wouldn't be sensitive to. And so God can take that and make it uh, powerful. Even maybe you feel like you're always putting your foot in your mouth. You like identify with Peter. You're like, I am always saying the wrong thing. Well, God, under the control of his spirit, can give you the boldness that maybe somebody else wouldn't have. And like Peter, you're gonna speak up for Jesus when somebody else wouldn't. I love that God can actually take that and really use our personalities for his glory. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says to the leaders, he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And he says, and there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. Now, if you're noticing a pattern in Peter's messages, it's because Peter keeps on saying the same thing. He keeps on saying, you, were, you rejected Jesus, but Jesus was actually your promised Messiah, your Lord, your Savior, and your King. And if you believe in him, you will experience salvation. And I love this because what we see here is that this moment that happened is actually this really beautiful, significant moment. Because Jesus, if you rewind the story, Jesus actually gathered his disciples at one point. And he spoke to them and he said, hey, just to let you know, there's going to come a day when you're arrested. There's going to come a day when you have to stand before the religious rulers and leaders. And this is what he says. He says, in that day, don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply to you. So Jesus in that moment predicted everything that would happen. You're gonna be arrested. You're gonna stand before them. But in that moment, I'm gonna give you the right words to say that no one will be able to say a single argument against you. This leads us to the third thing that I want you to write down, and it's this, that we will rarely be given the courage to witness until we start to witness. We will rarely be given the courage to witness until we start to witness. And you and I know that when Jesus changes our lives, that we are called to step out and to talk about him to other people. And by the way, a lot of people are uncomfortable with evangelism. And I just want to let you know, most of us in here are already evangelists. Most of us in here talk about what we are passionate about. We talk about the great deal we found on Amazon. We talk about the great restaurant that just opened. And so sharing your faith is just sharing something that's really important to you. But oftentimes we are waiting for this monster energy drink blast of courage before we get out there and talk about God. But what I believe and what I have discovered is that the courage is rarely supplied in advance. That it is when I step into the conversation, that's when God gives me the courage, not before. I wish it was before. And there have been plenty of times when I have had an opportunity to share my faith and, and I've been too afraid and so I haven't said anything. But in the times when I have stepped out, I have realized and recognized that God only supplies the courage at the very last minute. Like a little bit too late if you ask me. But as we step out, as you step into those conversations, that's when God supplies the courage. Now, I'm going to do a quick recap for you because uh, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of our story here. And I'm going to skip down just a little bit. But Peter preaches this radical and amazing sermon. And the people that um, he is preaching to, the the Jewish council, these elite religious leaders, they ask them to leave the room and they confer together and talk together and they say, what are we gonna do with these men? And they realize this conundrum because th these men were the same men that killed Jesus just a few months before. And so they want to stamp out everything to do with Jesus, but they have this guy who has been literally performing like this, this miraculous healing and they have this whole crowd who's like, hooray, Peter and John are awesome. And so they can't do too much. And so they, what they decided to do is they decided to call Peter and John in and sternly warn them, never talk about Jesus again. 
As, as the great theologian Kanye West said, they, can, they said that I can rap about anything except for Jesus. Did you notice how white I sounded when I did that, by the way? Like, geez. Like, I know, like, I'm white, and it's not, like, a surprise to you guys that I am, but, like, that, like, left no doubt. Anyways, so they say, like, don't talk about Jesus, and then the disciples, they speak out, and they're like, here's the deal. You can decide whether it's right or whether it's wrong, but we cannot help but speak about what we have heard and what we have seen. Now we're gonna close with this story. This is the wrap up, the last part of the story. And in verse 23, it says this, that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so they go back and they talk to the rest of the disciples. There's about, well, honestly, there's, there's thousands now, but they have this crew that's kind of the, the, the leaders of the movement, and, and they talk to them, and they say, man, we've been warned never to talk about Jesus. And this is an incredibly pivotal moment in the story of Acts, because if these religious leaders had intimidated Peter and John to the point where they decided to be silent, we wouldn't have the rest of the book. We wouldn't have the gospel spreading, and in fact, we probably wouldn't even be here right now. And so they had a chance to silence themselves or they had a chance to go forward and they decided to do what's the best thing to do in these moments, they decided to pray. And it says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and this was their prayer. It says, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they're about to quote a psalm, Psalm 2, and it says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they quote this psalm and then they say, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. And so they're praying and they're saying, God, this is what happened. The people uh, conspired against Jesus, but even though they conspired, it was still part of the plan. And then there, here's their prayer. He said, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So here's a brief breakdown of the apostles' prayer. There's, there's four parts to it. First off, they proclaim God's power. Next, they pray scripture. They find out that there's a part of the Bible that is related to them and they start praying it. Then they, they state the problem. They say, here's the deal. We actually have this, this, this uh, threat coming against us. And then they pray for boldness and they ask for God to continue to move. And so the last thing that I want you to write down as we're wrapping up here is this, that prayer or pain drives us to prayer. And prayer empowers us through the pain. And so when we experience pain, that drives us to a place of praying to God. And as we pray, God gives us the power to keep on moving. And I really believe that for you and I in this room tonight, God has called us to 
want to do great things. God has called us to bring his name to our neighborhoods and to our offices and to our schools. God has maybe put a dream in your heart to take a step of faith and whatever it is, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough. But I really believe that God actually wants us to do things that are so hard that we actually have to pray for them to succeed. And so what I'm asking and what I believe God is asking us to do right now is to literally do what these disciples did, to to actually ask him, God, we cannot do it on our own, but you are doing a work and we're asking to give us the strength and the boldness to keep it going. So I'm gonna ask everyone to stand and I'm gonna ask the band to play behind us. And I want you right now in this moment We're just gonna pause for just a moment here. And I want you to take a moment and just think about something that you know God is calling you to do that you're afraid of. Maybe it's a step of faith. Maybe it's a dream that God has put in your heart. I certainly hope that for the followers of Jesus in here, that dream includes telling other people about him that don't know him. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do exactly what the disciples did. I'm gonna pray for boldness. And so if you would, bow your heads. If you feel comfortable or called, you can lift your hands to heaven. Whatever you need to do to get in a posture to just ask God. And God, I'm asking you, Lord. The disciples, they prayed for boldness. And they recognized first and foremost your power. And God, we recognize that you are a powerful God. You are a glorious God. Your hand is not too short to save. And we recognize that you love every single person in this room so much, but not just that, but you love our community so much. You love the Space Coast. You love the young adults who are here and who are all over this country. And so God, we want to see people meet you. We want to see hurting and hopeless people encounter you. And what we're asking you for is boldness. We're asking for you to move. We recognize that it cannot be done on our own, but we ask that you in your power and your strength would open up doors of opportunity for us to speak your name with boldness and that you would help people to come to you. God, I pray for every person in here. If there's people who have dreams in their hearts that they're afraid to take the first step, that you would give them the courage to take the first step. I pray that if there is addiction and and, and sin in here, that you would give us the courage to, to open up to someone and to stamp it out in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that if there are people in here who maybe are afraid to share their faith, that you would help them to have the courage and the conviction to step out and to do it. God, we believe that you are at work and we are asking you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. The the scripture closes with this promise in this beautiful moment that when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And as we step into this time of prayer, or excuse me, time of worship to wrap up our service tonight, I'm believing that God is gonna fill us with boldness, with love to step out into our community and to serve and love him. So God, would you speak to us, even though the message is over, we don't want to turn off listening to you. And we ask that even during this song, you would fill us with love, fill us with boldness. We love you, God, and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.